welcome to the Monsters and Suits podcast. I'm your host Emery, and or Monsters and Suits on IG. And today, our guest is Kit Bear. She's a designer at Health Access and a recent Sac State designer, graduate two, 2022. And uh, today, we're going to be hitting on um, about design as well as a little bit about mental health, which we we uh, touched last time, which was on uh, burnout. So, Kit, how are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Good, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Um, I do want to make a quick note that my name is Kit Bear and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. I'm a Thank proud, you. I'm a proud non-binary designer. Dude, welcome, man. Um, I hope I don't get that wrong. I, I'm pretty sure I won't. But it, uh, it per- takes practice. It's okay. Yeah, I'm a the practice. The people with just it need sure. to know. Yeah, man, that's good. So, uh, so welcome to it. All right, so. Right now, you're working at um, at Health Access. Indeed. And so, um, what kind of what kind of place is that? What kind of work are you doing? What's going on there? So, Health Access is California's health consumer advocacy group. I have to think of the tagline. I just made a tote bag with it. <laughs> um, but basically, we lobby and advocate for socialized healthcare. Um, so, access to healthcare with as few barriers as possible. Last year, we successfully expanded Medi-Cal to cover undocumented immigrants. Rad. So this year, we're working on getting covered California to also cover undocumented immigrants. Dude, so, I mean, that sounds like kind of a rewarding job. So, I mean, do you take pride in that you're working there and they're doing, like, great, you know, working for a great cause? Yeah, definitely. I'm a very, like, values-driven person, um, and so that's been constant through my whole life, and I knew that that was my main priority when I graduated looking for a job was that it felt meaningful and that I was working with like positive and supportive people. A meaningful, that's very difficult to do. Yeah. That's cool. So what are the, what are the pros and cons that that you found working there? What do you like about working there? Well, so you like the the meaningful job, but what what about the work? Yeah. So I just started on October 17th. So it is very fresh. I'm a baby. However, it feels like it's been a year because this organization has been around for 35 years and they've never had someone in this position. So it's kind of like I feel like I'm catching up for like the 35 years that they didn't have someone managing their files and... Whoa, yeah. so you're creating like a whole new system yeah. and everything. Yeah, they did. Um, they they contracted a group, a design group in Sacramento called Lunia Blue. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. Um, they I know that they've got a couple alums on the team, but they contracted them to redesign their website. So thankfully, like, I'm not tasked with that as well. But it is like just so much file management and data infrastructure that's those are really boring terms (laughs) yeah that's not what i'm looking for yeah sorry but i mean i guess that's kind of the uh, the con of the job is that it's like these are all people with like master's degrees and like public health and political science and psychology do they have the skills to organize their folders no or to, to work with you properly yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. We'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. Um, but the work is super meaningful. I've been pretty much just diving headfirst into designing an event. It's our 35th anniversary at the end of this month, November 30th. Um, and so remembering that I was hired October 17th. 
<laughs> um, they didn't start like putting the plans into place for that event until maybe a week or two after I started. So yeah, just a registration page, email campaign, um, signage for the event, program books, merchandise, everything in the span of like two weeks. Oh, but throw in Thanksgiving for the production timeline. Yeah, of course. So have they done the event before? They do it every five years. Oh, crap. So five years ago, they're like, we have no clue how we did it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think the design is just something that people think of as an afterthought a lot. Kind 100%. of like, um, oh, it's like the sprinkles on top, which like even I think of it that way sometimes. Like after I've done kind of the heavy lifting of a layout being like, oh, now I just have to design it. Um, and that is poor time management on my part. But... <laughs> That's, I think, how people treat it. And so they're like, oh, we just have to, you know, organize the event and then design it really quick. Yeah. But it's like design actually, when done properly, takes a lot of forethought. And when done properly, it's very effective at trying to communicate, you know, the event and what the event is about and trying to, um, you know, recruit people to go to it. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, that. I mean, I guess because there is a lot of design out there that is, like, very superficial and not intentional, I suppose that's why people have that perception of it. But for me, design is, like, inside and outside every single part of something. It's just a way of thinking. It's, like, how can we make this excellent? I agree. I, I think that's something that um, the program at Sac State really hammers into you about design. It's, it's all-encompassing. And uh, it's not just uh, putting on a, a pretty packaging, you know, putting a pretty wrapping on, on, on something. It's like um, it's how it interacts with, with the, the, the audience, you know, yeah. fully. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, that sounds like a challenge. So, you know, it's good that you're young so <laughs> you can do it. Yeah, so that I have – well, it's – you know, I thought the program burnt everything out of me. I thought it took all the life force that I had. But here I am burning myself out again. I, I, I think I think when you come out of the program, you're so used to running marathons to get your work done for the classes that when you start running marathons for work, you're like, this is work. This yeah. is how this is what you're supposed to do. And you don't really know that any difference. And you don't really know, oh, wow, I don't have to work like this. Yeah. Well, and also I think for me, it's like I started at CalPERS one week after I graduated full time. And my position at CalPERS was, I would say, like beneath my skill set. And so mm -hmm. I was really bored just because, <laughs> yep. you know, I, I was used to the program being like, we're pushing your threshold to the max, like not only in critical thinking, but in your production skills. And so then having like kind of a sleepy summer at CalPERS was like a really nice reset. And so I found that by the time I got to Health Access, I was like, okay, I'm ready to kind of like flex and show them what I can do. So having this opportunity to be like, oh, I'm like saving y'all's booties right Hell now. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's, it's a nice little pet for my ego. Dude, as designers do, we're, we're usually saving people's booties, you mm -hmm. know, for sure. Because mm -hmm. it's always last minute. They don't have their stuff together and we're trying to make it happen. Well, and I also just think that like design is thoughtfulness. And so a lot of the time we're saving people's booties in the sense that we're seeing things other people aren't. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're thinking it all the way through. We're looking at the problem from every angle, and uh, we're trying to work out how to best communicate what needs to be done. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with you. So, um, so you worked, so Cowper's state agency, so you worked there during the summer. Yeah. Um, how did you like that experience? I really liked a lot of things about it. When I first got into CalPERS, I was like, I want to work here forever. I still feel that way about the the team, the VDSU design squad. Um, like just immediately, I was like, I want to be friends with all of you. Mm-hmm. And we all just chit-chatted um, amongst work as well. And that was fun. But um, outside of the visual design and strategy unit, which is what VDSU stands for, I just felt like the leadership was lacking and stagnant and just a lot of lip service, like we've talked about before, about oh, yeah. like diversity or, and, um, you know, sustainability and being like progressive with their business practices, but they just really aren't. Like they really are not progressive with their business, business practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very common with the state. You know, they want to use all these uh, progressive terms and and, uh, look like they're the most diverse agency out there. But when it really comes to practices and uh, making changes in their organization to show what they're to actually do what they're preaching, it doesn't happen. Um, I I think that's very common. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, diversity is one part of it. When you look at you're like, okay, the whole agency is, you know, 70 percent women the staff, but the um, upper management division chiefs are 70% white men. You're like, yeah. that's not diverse. So yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> no, it's, it's. Or, or their board is all white men or something. You're like, come on. Yeah. And I, yeah, I feel like there were instances of people kind of like arbitrarily being promoted where it mm-hmm. was like someone in a position of power because they're a, a white dude. Yeah. And, um, or it's just, they're promoted because they're there and they're not the best choice. Like um, I've often heard people say that about working for the state. They're like the people that are being promoted to management aren't people that are trained in management. There aren't people that know anything about management. Yeah. They know the job that they're doing, yeah. but that doesn't mean just because they could do that job really well, doesn't mean that they should be the manager of that unit. Well, and that's kind of, I think what my biggest piece of advice was, was I just felt like there's really not any leadership philosophy here and that's the thing about leadership roles is they are different than production roles. They require different skills. They have mm-hmm. different responsibilities. So a lot of the time, because people are looking for pay increases, it makes the most sense for them to promote to a role of leadership within their field. Um, but it's not the thing that makes the most sense with their skill set. Yeah, yeah, man. And-, and I think that like it's good to know that about yourself and know what your needs are so that you're like, okay, maybe I could make more money in this position, but how is that affecting the people around me? How is that affecting my lived experience? You know, is it really worth the extra money if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing as much every day? And for me, I really value time and lived experience over money. So yeah, I like that, man. I like that philosophy a lot. I think that's something that um, a lot of us, it takes it takes us time to learn that. For me, I wish I knew that a long time ago. I wish when I came out of school, I had that knowledge to, to say that because I definitely didn't. It's something that I had to learn from a long, hard road of mistakes to get there and be like, oh, wow, 
actually what's more important is uh, my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, life is for learning and making mistakes. So you use your time wisely. Very wise. Very wise. Yeah. But, very true. Um, I don't know. I guess... One thing, one thing about this agencies too, which which we're talking about them not being progressive, is is uh, when it comes to working from home. You're like, I know, um, like Calpers, like they first said it was like come in three days a week, and then um, the rumor was, and it was pretty firm rumor. Rumor this was happening was they're like come in three days a week, and then they're like it's actually just a matter of time before we have you in full time. So it's going to be three days a week for six months. And then it's going to be four days a week and for like maybe a year. And then it's going to be full time again. And uh, everyone started leaving. And so like yeah. the the health department there at CalPERS was like, now it's like 30% um, staffed because yeah. everyone over, everyone is looking for um, full-time work from home jobs. And there's a bunch of state agencies out there that are doing it. Yeah. So if you can find it, they're leaving CalPERS. And so CalPERS is is, reading, is taking that back. And they're like, okay, well, actually, we just might go to two days a week. Yeah. Because they're, they're like, we're losing all our staff and no one wants to be here. I mean, I was just so – I w- generally, I'm just very pro-remote work and flexibility and accessibility in every place that you can find it. Yeah. And I was <clears> very vocal about that because – I was a, a COVID baby in college, so my Sac State experience was partially online, and then we experienced coming back onto campus. That's so cool. And I would have loved that. I mean, it was wild to have seen these people for the last time before we even accepted into the program, and then all of a sudden we're seniors together in person graduating <laughs> in our final semester. Um, but I was very like vocal about having flexibility for returning to campus, And I felt the same way at CalPERS because, first of all, just looking at our sustainability goal, like, we don't need to be air conditioning this massive building that takes up literally two city blocks downtown. And then also, like, everybody commutes in. Like, everybody that works at CalPERS downtown does not live downtown. They live in the suburbs. And they're driving in, like, the worst traffic of their life to get here. Mm -hmm. And the roads are so dangerous. And also, like, just in terms of best business practices, you're expending time and energy. Like, people have a limited amount of time where they're working at their most productive. And if you're taking away from that energy for someone's morning commute, then you're hindering their productivity. 100%. And, um, you know, one thing, too, is, is like, well, let's look at mental health. You're all, well, with working from home is like, you know, for a crap ton of people, including myself, I have major social anxiety, major. And so when I'm in the office, my, my performance is not that great because I am worried about a whole bunch of stuff that I shouldn't be worried about. I'm worried about other people if they're looking at me and this and that. And mm-hmm. I'm worried about how I'm coming across in meetings because I'm coming across probably pretty rude because I feel super anxious. Yeah. And um, so when we started working from home, um, my manager and everyone else was like, dude, you're so nice. You're a completely different person. And all these people started giving me compliments and, and like, you know, all this kind of stuff because at home I'm super talkative and nice and I can communicate because I don't have this anxiety. Yeah. And so working from home has given people that, that have, you know, mental health issues, you know, an opportunity to be them, to be their best selves. Yeah. I think mental health issues and just really any kind of disability, whether it's physical, chronic pain, um, 
anything like that because people just need flexibility in their environment. Everybody has different needs Mm -hmm. and that's what equity is, right? It's knowing that we can't just give the same thing to every person. We have to give every person what they need. Exactly. Um, And so, yeah, like especially having ADHD, I really struggle at focusing in environments where people are talking around Mm me. Um, And so like coming back to campus, that was a serious struggle because I was strapped. Like my my days were so full and I needed my three hours in class to get work done and I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, And so similarly, it's just like, I know my brain. I know what I need. I'm here to do a job. Why don't you let me tell you what I need to do that job? Because I'm not trying to trick anyone. Yeah, right? I'm just trying to get my job done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, state agencies, they're all about inclusion and diversity and, and um, you know, helping people out. And it's like, well, then why don't you be more cool about working from home for everyone? Yeah. You know, don't try. And- because also, like, you, I mean, you get into different barriers of entry there, which is, again, something I pushed uh, with school is it's like not everybody has access to a vehicle on a daily basis. Or if they do, maybe the expense of that vehicle is greatly degrading their quality of life because it's taking away from other expenses. Definitely. And it's definitely um, like having a bad impact on the environment. Yeah. Like did did uh, I read an article or report saying about like the air quality in Sacramento during COVID was so much better because uh, people weren't driving in. Yeah, you know. Well, and I mean, even just like looking at this summer, the price of gas was like seven dollars a gallon. Crazy. Like you're just you're just putting needless expenses on people, and mm-hmm. expenses are just hindering them. So, dude, not only that, but like you have you have your clothing. So like for me, like. You know, my, my big issue is depression and anxiety. And my anxiety is huge. I've had it forever. I've had professional help on it forever. It's just a part of who I am as a person. It's something that I've read tons of books on. I've educated myself on anxiety. I know what my triggers are. And I tell you what, me being dressed up, because as a state agency, you, you know, like as a graphic designer, people are like, oh, you're, you know, you're alternative. You know, you don't have to be this, you know, uppity type person that's all dressed up with a business shirt on and it's like no working for the state you still have to do that yeah like you have to wear slacks you have to wear nice you know shoes and um like i i wore vans there the whole time i've worked there and at the state Mm -hmm. and people definitely looked down on me because of it yeah 100 percent, man and um i remember when i first started going in because i'd wear button-up shirts with long sleeves and, uh, you know, my slacks and my shirt tucked in and it was extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. And that would cause me anxiety because I didn't feel comfortable with how I was looking. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel comfortable with how I was dressed. You have to spend all this money on clothing. Yeah. You know, it's like, dude, that's, yeah. and then you feel like crap when you're wearing it. And then people, if you, if you feel like you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try and dress a little bit more like myself, then you're judged by all these people because these people that work for the state are not creatives. Yeah. And they're like, well, who's, who is this with the tattoos? What's going yeah. on? Like, yeah. And they definitely, they look at you like you're, you're like a, a kindergartner. Well, you know? and I mean, <laughs> that's the thing is like the modern, you know, the modern idea of professionalism is just like super oppressive and homogenic, hegemonic, homogenic. I can't um, help you, but I know what you're saying. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> just thinking it through. But anyways, the the point is that it's all about everybody being the same. Yes. It's all about conforming. 
And it's all about reinforcing those like power dynamics that say like, oh, this way is right and this way is wrong. And so any way that you diverge from that, whether it's like creatively or racially or through your gender or your disabilities, the state respects you less. I mean, I'm going to go broader than the state and just say that like people in power in a lot of places respect you less. Because they want you to do what you're told. And if you're not part of that cookie cutter, then, you know, the worry that they don't have power over you. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's just like your idea of like what's proper and professional isn't even your own idea. You've just been like socialized (laughs) into it and you're not awake enough to know that. 100%. So I'm like, you can like sit there in your little box and judge me, but like I'm free as fuck. (laughs) As you should be, as we all should be. Come on now. I mean, you know, and I'm like, obviously like that's a huge I have hand tattoos, like I'm a non-binary person. I've dressed androgynously my whole life. And it's like, yeah, of course people treat me differently from for that. And so they're always gonna be like, well, why do you have to dress differently then? And it's like exactly what you're talking about. It's about my comfort. It's about what yeah. makes me feel like myself. It's about what makes me feel safe. Like tattoos are a huge part of my bodily autonomy. And a lot 100%. of people look at tattoos and they're like, oh, that's you know, a superficial waste of money. And I'm like, well, as someone who spent most of my life feeling unsafe and uncomfortable in my body, every place that I have a tattoo is a place that feels like me. Yeah, And you can't like put a price tag on that. And it's different for everyone. Um, And like, similarly, you know, like I'm someone who was assigned female at birth. I've always had short hair. People are like, oh, well, why would you cut your hair short if you don't want men to tell you that you're ugly? (laughs) What? I, I, that's a that's a generalization, but it is like the response people have. They look at my driver's license picture and go, "Oh, you looked so good with long hair." When when I first cut it, people just, "Oh, but your hair was so beautiful," and it's that exact same sentiment, right? Of like, we have this idea of what is good and what is powerful and what demands respect in society, mm-hmm. and when you do something that doesn't align with that, then we think that you're less powerful. Yeah. We think that you're a slacker. We think that, you know, there's a whole bunch of bad connotation assigned to that. And, um, it's, it's, I agree with you with the tattoos. Like I'm, I'm fully tatted up myself. And, um, it's like the more tattoos I get, the more I feel like myself. To yeah. Be honest. No, a thousand percent. I'm just like, this is me. Like it, it makes me feel more androgynous too. Like tattoos, not that all tattoos are masculine, But I think, like, growing up, the experience that I had of seeing fully tattooed people was that they, like, generally were more masculine. Yeah, So, for me, it is, like, also gender euphoria to be, like, this is, like, how I always saw myself as this little, like, Twinkie rock star. That's sick, dude. (laughs) And now that is what I am, so. (laughs) (laughs) Now I made it true. Yeah. That's sick. But I I totally agree with that. And um, it's, like, I remember we had... So there's some people that work for the state and that I worked with and um, they're they're upper division chiefs and um, they came from a very conservative background and, um, you know, they they love their life of living in the office, a very conservative lifestyle, wearing very conservative clothing. And they're they're perfectly happy with that life. It's a very boring life, in my opinion, looking from the outside in. I'm like, you're just a boring person with a boring life. And, but yet that person was one of my direct superiors and 
I know for a fact he did not like me because I had tattoos. Yeah. I mean, he would judge me for it. You would see him look at my tattoos and it'd be like, like, who the hell are you? Yeah. And because of that, he basically, he definitely decided not to work with me. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I know what I'm doing. I've been here forever. No, I'm going to work with this uh, this other designer that looks like uh, she's very well put together and not alternative. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's just how pe- – I mean, well, and this is something that I say to people to make them feel better about themselves a lot, which is like your brain is designed to make assumptions and to categorize. So the goal is not to hate yourself for making assumptions. The goal is to be aware of the assumptions that you're making and then checking if those assumptions are rooted in reality or if they're rooted in this fictitious narrative that we're all subjected to. I was just making a whole bunch of assumptions about him too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that was my next point, (laughs) which is like, number one, is he even happy? Probably not. What is happiness? It's not what that guy has. For sure. But number two, like, let's say that it is what makes him happy to like button up his shirt to the top button. I personally love buttoning my shirt to the top button. Makes me feel very put together. The tie I can do without. But my point is just that like, you know, squares will be squares. And who am I to take that from them? Like everybody deserves to be themselves, whether that's like weirdly, uh, you know, a, a uptight CEO. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that just they also need to respect other people's differences and other people's needs. So you can go be your CEO in your office. I'm not going to take that from you. In return, please respect me and give me the space that I need to do my job and feel like myself. Well said. Well said. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and hopefully in the future, there'll be more what's happening because you see it happening slowly and um the words are there they just need to match their actions to to uh, what they're saying yeah but a lot of it is just ego and like i mean everything kind of comes down to ego because people want to feel like they have a handle on what's going on around them and they want to feel like they understand things and that the world makes sense to them and that their point of view checks out and so anytime you threaten any element of that delicate tree of ego um, people just shut down and cling tighter to whatever BS they're preaching. Like Dude. it's very rare that when you poke holes in someone's reasoning, they stop and go, that's a really good point. It's almost 99% of the time that they are just screaming the original point louder at you <laughs> over yeah. and over. <laughs> Dude, very wise, man. You're dropping a whole bunch of wisdom on this podcast. I love it. I've, I've had a lot of uh, trauma and therapy. And so those things have, like, I hate to say this because I'm not one of those people that's like, yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like, trauma sucks. It yeah. does. But at the same time, um, it's given me a lot of opportunities to make peace with a lot of, like, difficult parts of life. And that has made me a well-adjusted adult. I love it, man. Therapy is super important. I wish people that um, took their mental health as serious as their physical health. Yeah. And I wish, uh, you know, um, therapists and psychologists were as common as, as uh, regular doctors. And they're a part of, um, you know, the health, the healthcare system more than they are now, for sure. Well, and I think that, like, it, mental health, people really just see it with, like, a single facet. But the thing is, just like we all have physical health, we all have mental health. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have a chronic mental illness, like you and I do, Emery, you still get mental colds. You still get 
maybe bouts of depression, you still get experiences with these different disorders. And so it's like, just because you don't have like a lifelong diagnosis, it doesn't mean that there's not things that you don't need support for. 100%. And also like, there's just not a single person on this earth who couldn't benefit from having an hour to talk guilt-free about whatever is bothering them. For sure. I made it a game with myself in therapy of like, how honest can I even be with this person? And I ended up being more honest with my therapist than I had been with myself. And that was like life-changing. They can lead you down some rabbit holes sometimes. Well, I mean, really my therapist, you know, I'm a talker. So I just get, I get on the call and I'm just going for 15 minutes. (laughs) But having that space to listen and to be like, I'm compensating this person for their emotional labor so I don't need to feel guilty and I don't need to filter myself because in this instance, filtering myself will only hinder my growth, Um, especially like being autistic and like being misperceived, right? I'm prone to being like, oh, I should be filtering right now because that's what my experiences has taught me is if you don't filter, people will tell you that they're weird, you're weird or they'll get offended or they'll misunderstand what you're saying and so being able to go into therapy and be like this is just about figuring out for lack of a better term what's wrong with me (laughs) and that's That's how we feel that's only gonna happen faster if I say my you know my deep dark secrets so so how did you find your therapist is it um, through um, a health plan and there's a website or or how did you find yours Honestly, it was just kind of um, serendipitous, I guess. My brother, who is also proudly mentally ill, um, was in a relationship in college with someone else who was very mentally ill. Um, And she had eating disorder, which I do as well. However, I've been in recovery for a long time. With eating disorder, it's a lot like alcoholism. You always say, like, I'm in recovery because it's never, like, gone. Um, but she just basically like relapsed really, really bad to the point that it threatened her life. And she was like hospitalized a few times. And so my, um, yeah, you should probably put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) Sorry. I always think of it after the fact. I'll, I'll put it on the, on the, on the post for sure. Um, but so my brother, like being in that partnership was like, well, I don't really know how to support this person. And so he sought therapy for that. Um, and that was before I was diagnosed with anything or aware of anything that was quote unquote wrong with me. I have eight, um, diagnosed disorders now. So it's kind of funny to think about, but he, he pushed me when I was younger. He was like, there's really something going on with you, bro. Like you got to get seen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he recommended her and she's just been amazing. Like she just like tells it like it is and is like funny and sassy. And like, for me, I definitely use humor as a coping mechanism. And I can also talk very like, um, objectively about my trauma and so it's like I don't want someone who's gonna like pity me like I don't respond well to that when people are like "Mm." so the fact that she's just like yeah wow life am I right like that works really well for me you have to find the right one I've had I've had different ones and and you also outgrow therapists too and you're like I've got everything I, I can get out of this one I need to go change it up yeah 
Uh, yeah, but then you have to like retell your entire life yes, story to someone else. It's so overwhelming. But then you know, then you get a separate opinion on it. That's different. And I guess every time you retell your life story, like a bunch of time has passed, so you probably have different insights and perspectives about it. And also for me, I'm very much like an out loud processor. So just having to tell the story multiple times will always make me see new things about it. So as let's go back to so as graphic with graphic design how do you see um mental health work with with graphic design um because because graphic design can be very demanding critical um defeating you're working with some challenging people sometimes yeah it's not like it's weird because graphic design itself has has this outer wrapping that's like so best job for you i like i've read too if you're not a people person then graphic design's great (laughs) Or it's a, you know, if you want to work from home, go graphic design. Like the wildest misconception. My people's skills are everything in graphic design. It is. You have to be able to communicate because people literally don't have the words for what they're trying to say. And you have to like pick up on their vibe and then be able to produce that for them. And that's, that can be very, so dealing with that and then also dealing with um, the rejection, the challenges the super like creeping deadlines that they throw on you out of nowhere, all these challenges with graphic design. And then you're dealing with your reactions, which could be extreme anxiety. Um, it could be just self-doubt, crazy self-doubt because you're trying to accomplish all these goals and you're dealing with these people and you have all these moving parts. And um, graphic design is, is uh, very complicated because usually – you have multiple projects and you have things coming at you from all over the place. And the people that you're working with can be nice, cannot be nice. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of chaos for sure. Yeah. A lot of chaos, man. I I think, I think graphic design is the worst job for, for someone that has mental health issues because there is, um, you don't, the job's not inside a box. The job is all over the place. Your um, responsibilities are all over the place and you have to be like, you know, jack of all trades to be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think that it depends on what your mental illnesses are and then also your relationship with them. Because like, for example, two of my mental illnesses, ADHD and bipolar two, um, those things really affect my motivation and my focus. Yeah. So part of like, learning to accept my mental illnesses and also flourish as a designer has been like, well, how can I work with this? So for bipolar, right, there's depressive periods and there's manic periods. Mm -hmm. And I'm just good at accepting when I'm in a depressive period. That's not a time to be pushing out a lot of projects. But then when I'm in a manic period, I might push out you know, and also I should disclose, like I'm medicated and I have like support for these things. So I'm not just like using my mental illness as a superpower, but, um, it does help me to know, oh, my energy is just ebbing and flowing. And so I have to plan for that. And then kind of the same with ADHD, like I, this is something I tell designers all the time. Cause I swear to God, like 99% of designers either have diagnosed or undiagnosed ADHD mm-hmm. um, is the, the executive dysfunction that you have in your brain, which is the experience of going, I know that I need to go over there and fill up my water glass. But for some reason I've been sitting here for an hour and I've done a million things, but not that right. That experience when you're really stressed out, your brain secretes a chemical that masks that 
disability. And so people with ADHD often talk about struggling with procrastination and not being able to get something done until there's an extreme amount of pressure around it. Um, and that's because of that chemical reaction in your brain. When the pressure hits, it masks your executive dysfunction and you can perform like someone without ADHD or someone who's taken Adderall. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that. So knowing that about myself, um, I try to – because I used to try to counterbalance it by like over planning and over scheduling and being like a month ahead of everything. Um, but what I found is that I would spend a lot of time just sitting at my computer like staring at a screen because I had scheduled to do a task, but it's like my brain was just like, I'm not in it, bro. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so now I'm just like, realistically, I'm not going to want to work on this project until the deadline is closer. So I just like fully embrace not working on it until it's time to work on it instead of carrying that mental baggage all the time. That's cool. I, I think, I mean, one thing that, that you're saying is like, I mean, where I'm getting from, from talking to you is like your knowledge and your familiarity with your um, mental health is the key to actually um, working with it and being successful. Yeah. It's like the more that you know it about your mental health or the issues that you're dealing with, and it's the more that you can accept it mm-hmm. and you can work with it instead of trying to fight it and being and being like, why am I like this? You and know? that's, you know, that's generally <clears throat> how I process things. I, when like conflict arises, mostly get curious and then I just do a lot of reading. Like, for example, you know that right before I left CalPERS, I adopted a new rescue dog named Pretzel. Yeah. And Pretzel <laughs> is like a pit bull who is plagued with behavioral issues. She was found on the street. There's no history of her. She had a litter of puppies. Like, we don't know how old she is. Um, I just lost my train of thought. That's okay. So... <clears throat> And, and and I was just sick, so now I'm, like, coughing and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's – I agree, though, man. And, so, um, well, so for me, like, when I'm dealing with anxiety and, and I'm working, I used to use anxiety as a superpower, 100%. Like, um, because I would get so worried about whatever thing I was doing that I would work myself to death because I had all this – anxiety about the job so like whatever it was i would work harder than anyone to try and get it done and i would kill myself i wouldn't eat i wouldn't do anything i would just do that job because i was so worried about it i was like that in school um i was like that when i I, for the first you know 10 years on my job it was all anxiety driven and you can't it wasn't healthy and it ruined a lot of things and and it was like i was successful um, you know, I was super successful successful with anything I did because that anxiety made sure I was successful. Yeah. I was so worried about failing or I was so worried about not getting the whatever random thing I was assigned done. Yeah. And I'd work myself really hard to make sure I did. Yeah. And I, I you know, I when I look back at those times, like like it didn't even seem like I was breathing. Like, oh, I you know? I relate to that so much. Like before I dealt with my anxiety, I, w- I could not be present. Like, being present was, like, the worst. It sounded like a chore. And, like, I used to practice yoga on a daily basis. And every time they would be like, okay, like, you know, time to be present to your body and, like, not be dissociated. I would be <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Um, because I was always just jumping from one thing to the next. 
But then I got like medicated for anxiety. I was on the FDA max of Prozac for five years. Oh, I sure, just okay. successfully dosed off. So I'm very excited about it. Good job. Um, but it was really necessary because what it did was it just like numbed that anxiety out to the point where it wasn't the driving force behind everything I did anymore. And that was really scary for me because my identity had been being anxious. Yep. I was like, who am I when I'm not just being literally ruled by this master anxiety? Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out like that I run 15 minutes late, natural kit does when anxiety isn't there. And that's okay. Um, you know, so it's just like I, the motivation changed and that scared me. But now it's better because I don't feel like I have to suffer with my illness to like be myself and be successful and that's like a misconception that unfortunately a lot of people in the art community had told me when I was younger was like don't get medicated or don't get mm -hmm. professional help because your mental illness is what drives your creativity um and now I just roll my eyes and I'm like oh if you think my identity can be reduced to that one simple facet like no way because there's a million things that make me a strong designer. And yes, mental illness is one of them, but it's one of them. It's, it's um, you know, I heard the same thing with drugs. It's like, it was the opposite though. Like, do drugs get fucked up because that'll make you super creative. And then if you have mental health issues, then you'll also be super creative. If, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's kind of like those old old things that aren't true but we've seen it so much in in um in life like like a lot of musicians like kurt cobain you know a lot of mental health issues and then doing crazy drugs and then was super creative yeah and but i i think that that's like one of those things where people are confusing correlation and causation from my experience mentally ill people tend to abuse substances because mm -hmm. they're trying to find the chemicals that their brain isn't naturally giving them Dude, I was like that, man. I smoked weed forever, and that was to deal with anxiety for sure, man. Yeah. I definitely have been a chronic weed smoker. I still am. It's not as bad. It, it ebbs and flows depending on how many stressors I have in my life that I'm dealing with or how mm -hmm. burnt out I am. If I'm in a space where I'm just waking up every day and finding it hard to care, then I'll smoke weed because it just kind of sucks to be in that headspace and feel like everything crystal clear. Um. Yeah. But yeah, so the thing is, I think a lot of creators, and that's something with ADHD, right? ADHD is caused by a lack of dopamine in your brain. When you smoke weed, what do you get? Dopamine. dopamine. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is that that negatively affects your ADHD over time because it hinders your brain's ability to produce its own dopamine. So it's just like this relentless cycle. Anyways, and so then I also think that a lot of mentally ill people are creative because being mentally ill is full of all of these like nonsensical juxtapositions and like all kinds of suffering and confusion that inspires people to think deeply about their life experiences as a coping mechanism. Dude, I 100% agree. Man. Like it's like if you're not creative, doing drugs isn't going to make you creative. <laughs> no, it won't. You know, maybe a little bit. I mean, like, you know, you'll see some squiggles where you didn't before, but. Yeah, true. I mean, or you'll just be really in, into watching cartoons. <laughs> and eating cereal. And eating cereal. When I first started smoking weed, that was always my munchie snack, was like literally a like mixing bowl of cereal. 
Dude, that sounds pretty good to me. What was your cereal choice? Um, I'm a Cocoa Pebbles kind of guy. Oh, so you like Snack the chocolate. Snack Pop, yeah. I mean, not all the time. Like, it depends on the time of day. I'm imagining a nighttime snacking cereal, <laughs> so it's kind of like a soft dessert. That is, In the good. morning, I like something a little bit more neutral, like a Cheerio. <laughs> Dude, nice. Yeah, I, Cheerios are good in the morning, too. They just, like, never hit wrong. Like, if I'm feeling sick, I'm like, a bowl of Cheerios will be fine. Dude, true, man. I've, I've recently, uh, because of everyone keeps on telling me I had to do it, but I recently moved over to oatmeal in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Love oatmeal. That's pretty of year. good. Yeah. yeah. It's really good for you, too. Keeps you regular. <laughs> oatmeal and a coffee. <laughs> oh. Perfect way to start the day. Do you Dude. put anything fun in your oatmeal? <laughs> No, because I just buy the brown sugar one, but I don't, um, you know, actually I'm drinking coffee right now, but um, usually I do not drink coffee at all. So I'm not the type of person that drinks coffee in the morning because it messes with my anxiety hella bad. Yeah, that's, and so, uh, that's fair. I am addicted to coffee because of the ADHD. It's a stimulant. That's why yeah. a lot of ADHD people smoke cigarettes and do cocaine. Yep. Um, I don't do cocaine. I smoke cigarettes on occasion. Good, man, because I heard that cocaine is all laced with fentanyl right now, too. I know three piece, three people that passed away in Sacramento because of it. R.I.P. So it's around, man. It, you know, it doesn't really appeal to me. It doesn't seem that fun. And everyone says it only lasts like 15 minutes. So I'm like yeah, kind of a kind of a low return on investment there. Yeah, man, I, uh, I agree. I never got much out of it either, but um, – yeah, it, and it's, I mean, if you have um, high blood pressure, too, it can cause you to stroke out, so it's not good. Yeah. All right, so um, one of the last questions I want to ask you today is, um, so my design motto, this is the question I ask everyone, so my design motto is simplicity is a, is a key to good design. So uh, what would you say makes good design, or if you have a design motto, what would that be? I definitely feel like I have multiple design mottos, but... Spit them all out. Or, you know, you'll <laughs> well, help other you know, people if they listen we'll, to We'll it. start with one and see where the ADHD takes me. But um, I, I did just say to my boss today that design is just intuition reverse engineered. Um, because a lot of the time clients, when they're like trying to talk to me about a design, will get self-conscious because they don't know like the visual language to describe what they're talking about or they don't know why they like something and they're like oh I'm sorry like apologetic and I'm like you don't need this vocabulary to know what you like like I'm basically just trying to make things that humans will naturally be attracted to so you going based off of your instinct and your intuition is just as valid as my well maybe not just as valid as my education but it's uh (laughs) it's a it's a key component yeah, you're like, well, we can take what what you're thinking and what you like and then try and match it with trying to communicate the message that we're trying to communicate with through the design. Yeah, because everyone has, like, opinions. Everyone likes things. They just might not know why. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of our job as designers and, like, being curious and asking questions is figuring out, like, okay, do you like this symbol that you're pointing to because of where it is on the page do you like it because it's blue do you like it because it has a swirl like you know because a lot of the times they'll just point and say i like that 
mm-hmm. and you're like, well, what do we need to keep and what can we get <laughs> yes. away with here? Yeah, and we're like, okay, you know, that is that works because we're trying to do this, so we can definitely do that. Yeah, or, but I mean, even like color theory, you know, it's like orange like evokes the thought of courage and bravery. Like that's something that people might go, oh, you know, I associate the color orange with like health and basketball (laughs) and and they don't know why but it's like well that's like color psychology you didn't have to know that from the textbook for it to be like your real experience yeah so i mean we can take what they like and try and guide them you know to the journey of what they need to do for sure yeah so i like that i like that all right kit well thank you for being on great time great time talking to you and i appreciate this important conversation on mental health Thanks for having me. And this is brought to you by We Are Sacramento and The Lofts. I remembered what I was going to say about pretzel. Because I was trying to talk about how I cope with things by understanding them. So, like, 